0: Hello team, and welcome to episode 407 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Derek Johnson. Derek is a US Army veteran, life coach, and trainer. This conversation with Derek is one of those episodes where you're going to want to take notes as you're undoubtedly going to leave with a ton of takeaways and inspiration. In this episode, you can expect to learn why Derek wakes up at 4 a.m. every single morning and his thoughts on how to create the best morning routine, what you can do if you're feeling like you're wasting your weekends, along with how you can use dark and light energy to fuel you on your path towards your goals. So without further ado, Derek Johnson. Derek Johnson, welcome to the show. How are you today? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is truly mine. I'm excited to get into today's conversation. But before we do, can you give the listeners a little context about who you are and what it is that you do? Yes, for sure.
1: So I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I was in the U.S. Army for 10 years, and my father was in the Army as well. So he did 20 plus. So growing up with the military father, the drill sergeant, and just to give you context, African American male, six foot four, so way taller than me, massive dude. And my mother's German. So she was a kindergarten teacher. So both parents were very strict and disciplined. They got up at 4 or 5 a.m., worked out, seven days a week, and that's all I would see growing up.
0: Mm -hmm. So that
1: was second nature. Wake up, work out, hydrate, go about your day and be successful. That's what we saw. On the flip side, both parents, they were the oldest of multiple children, so they had to grow up fast. So they had a lot of family traumas that I guess they didn't get the help that they needed or weren't able to work through because they were always taking care of everyone. So what I saw that happened was anytime that our house was the house for the parties, the get togethers, the cookouts, after the fact, between the hours of 9 p.m. and 1 a.m., when the last bottle of wine or beer was drank, they would release emotions or anger or aggression from the past onto me because I was the youngest. I had two older sisters. But I realized that it was just them projecting rather than, like, doing it at me. Like, they were looking through me. So as that kid and teenager, I would use fitness as an outlet. I would exercise i would do martial arts and that would help me to stay calm because i didn't want to give people what they expected because that type of upbringing most people are aggressive violent and all that i was the opposite i was just very calm so on one side i had the discipline and the structure which was amazing but on the flip side the terms i love you was not said in our home so that's why in the military in sports or even now with clients i just try to give people more love Mm -hmm. and try to support them because when you didn't have that as a child you try to give it to others So yeah, so long story short, with that upbringing, fitness and faith were my two outlets to help me stay calm and in control. And then I just showed up better for others in school sports and then eventually throughout my careers. But looking back, it all made sense because it just primed me for the military, dealing with that kind of upbringing. And then also nowadays in business, like you don't really stress much. Anybody that's grown up around crazy family, drugs, alcohol and all that, they can usually handle stressful situations better than others.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And what led you to not resenting the discipline side of things and carrying over that trauma into your future as well? I can imagine that most people who didn't grow up hearing I love you are the type of people who continue never to say that or never to hear that within their households. And that kind of generational trauma gets carried over. And same goes for the discipline aspect as well. You must have seen so much of it, but then you're like, well, the reverse side of it is them, you know, keeping all their emotions in, not being able to express the things that they need to and then essentially saying okay i don't want to end up like them and i want to lean towards a different direction maybe there's a lot of good traits but there was other ones that you obviously didn't want in your life so what led you to kind of embracing the positives of them and being able to essentially get rid of the negatives
1: that's a great question so what i did i got obsessed with crazy stories of people that went through things way worse in my situation okay so i looked at it in different perspectives even during the yelling screaming glass being thrown being punched like all the stuff that would happen, I would zone out. I would like hop out of my perspective, like a movie scene, and I would look at myself in the situation. And I was like, how is he gonna react? Are you gonna cry? Are you gonna punch back? Are you just gonna be still? And then I would like play this mental game. So I got good at doing that because one, it was a defense mechanism. Two, I read a lot of autobiographies and watched documentaries learning people's journey and I got really inspired by seeing people who like, did not have parents, went through foster homes, mm. grew up in Syria, there's bombings every other week. Like, there's always something worse. So I wouldn't pretend that my situation didn't exist, but I would just look at the gratitude. I would say, okay, at night, once the crowd leaves, we had a beautiful house in Florida, screened in pool, four bedrooms, four bathrooms. Like, everything was great from the outside. They had a successful reputation. So I never wanted to bash their reputation. So what I would do is learn people's stories And then from there, just be grateful. I was like, I have both parents. We have air conditioner in Florida. We have this, we have food. I have multiple bedrooms I can sleep in. Like, I just looked at all the positives and I said, you know what? My goal is to break any generational curse because alcoholism ran on both sides of the family, grandparents, great grandparents and all that. Mm -hmm. And I would always tell myself, I'll be the one that changes the trajectory and put the pressure on myself. But in the combination of learning stories and then also working on my faith, That helped me look at more of the positive and in a fitness aspect, if I had a crazy night with parents or anybody else, I would say, oh, tomorrow's workout is going to be amazing or on the football fields or in the basketball court like I'm going to crush it. So I would just see that all as drive rather than like straight
0: aggression. Yeah, it's amazing that you were able to turn that around. And I can imagine a lot of people who are listening who are maybe going through something similar, who have maybe gone through something similar, kind of victimize themselves. And it's great that you kind of turned that around. And instead of using that victim mentality, you used it to your advantage as well. And a part of your story led you to the military as well, following in your dad's footsteps in one sense of the way. What led you to taking up going into the military? Was it genuinely the example? Was it something you were super passionate about going into? It was more so
1: I was the quiet, shy, scared kid. Right. Like in elementary school, growing up in the South in America. So I'm half black, half white. You have to prove yourself. So I was the pretty boy or the light skinned or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So I'd be on the basketball court. And this is after we moved from Germany. And I just wasn't used to it. Because you hear about bullies and all the American movies and all that. Once you face it, you're like, oh, this is just like the movie. (laughs) And I realized that most of the bullying happened from my own people like from black people on the basketball court but I, I realized it was just because I look different and they assumed that oh he grew up in the nice neighborhood he thinks he's above us and it wasn't that so I had to use my martial arts to prove myself to break any barriers with bullying so in regards to middle school that was the first time like I physically had to stand up for myself so like I busted the bully's nose Embarrass him in front of people, did a couple other things, but I didn't want to deep down, but I had to, or the bullying would have kept going. Mm-hmm. Cause these guys were way bigger than me. I was skinny at the time. And then being bullied a lot, that's what triggered me to really get into fitness, to work on my physique, not just so I could fight everybody, but more so, so I was more secure in myself. And then those moments, I realized that after that, me and the bullies didn't become friends, but we just had mutual respect. We did the fist bump. And then I realized I was like, wow, because of the way that I looked in the South, I had to prove myself in the basketball court and they're like oh he's not soft he'll stand up for himself and i was like this is interesting psychology game yeah. and then i would look at all these things in different factors in business you're in a meeting and there's like older gentlemen and all that so you go in in a different approach and i would always see that so definitely being bullied helped and then also in regards to at home that always pushed me to work on myself and at the time i was 11 or 12 years old and that was the first time that i heard tony robbins My father had his cassette tapes and he would play them in the car. (laughs) And one of the first quotes was, if my mother gave me the love that I wanted, I wouldn't be the man I am today. And I'm like 11, 12 years old in the backseat of the car. And I'm like, yes, I'm getting chills on my arm when I first hear (laughs) it. And I would tell my friends about it. And they're like, why are you listening to these motivation tapes? I'm like, dude, he's like talking to me. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like nobody understood it. And I was like, man, this is amazing. And the other one was life is happening for you, not to you. So I would play these things in my head and along with other quotes, but i would just see things in a different light and as a kid and teen i would play a game where i would pretend that i was a superhero in the cave getting tested for life and it worked for me to tap out and then the older i got i didn't have to do it anymore i just saw that that was a cheat code and once i learned more about psychology i was like wow i didn't realize that i was actually working on myself deep psychology didn't i didn't even know what it was but it was very interesting
0: Yeah, it's interesting. How do you feel you got that insight into yourself so early? I know you mentioned you read some journals and did everything along those lines, but I'm keen to get an idea of how you exactly tapped into that.
1: I think it was just I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, as in sick and tired of being bullied at home, at school. I love sports and then the coaches would do stuff. So I was like, something is up with me that I just seem like the skinny, small kid that just gives off scared energy. And I realized it was like, the bully is always the biggest insecure person in the room and they're just projecting because you have something and they can see it and you make them uncomfortable. And once I learned about that, I was like, okay, so let me stop giving people the reaction that they expect. So they expect fear, they expect anxiety, they expect this this, isn't this, I would give them the opposite. And usually it was just calmness or I would just agree with people. Like being in the South, you also deal with like racism and all other types of stuff, I would just agree with people. I was like, yeah, you're right. And like their face was priceless every single time. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And they're like, <laughs> and there's nothing else to say. I'm like, you're right. I totally am. That's it. And now you'd catch people off guard and I would do it so much that I would laugh in my head because I was like, I'm not giving anyone the reaction that they expect because nobody's going to have power over me. I want to say Confucius, there's a quote that he mentioned or another philosopher was any man that can make you angry and you allow them to has power and control over you. You are their slave. I'm paraphrasing it, but That is another quote that always stood out where I would think back, wow, every time that I would hold that anger, sadness or aggression, somebody would have control of me for hours on end or a couple days on end. And so it didn't happen college throughout my career after that. But that's something that I would always do was just perspective hop a lot, be more grateful and also just see everything as a challenge because as humans, we're all generally pretty selfish will say, why me? I don't want to do this. Why me? God, why is this happening? Me, 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 me. And I would say, okay, what am I going to do now? I have to work on myself so I can show it better for others. And then once I shifted that, I realized that people would approach me more as in they would just pour out. I'd be at a bus stop. Mm-hmm. I'd be in the airport and somebody would just come up to me and say, Hey, how are you doing? What's your name? And next thing you know, they rant for 10 to 15 minutes. And just release whatever they need to release we don't exchange information i would just say hey great to meet you and they'd walk away and i think about it and i would say man i did that in middle school and high school a few times when i would just be around men or women in public that i was just comfortable around and i would just divulge they'd give me a piece of advice or just listen and so i realized that i could be that for somebody else so it was always interesting so receiving it being young and then being able to give it being older always helped me to see perspective So I would definitely say perspective hopping helped me the most. And I feel like truly that was a gift to just hop out. I don't know where it came from. It might have come from movies and like alter egos and all that. But I feel like that was the gift, being able to pop out of the situation, never complain because like my friends didn't know what was happening. Teachers, they could probably see I was tired, but nobody knew what was actually going on because I never wanted to complain. I was like, somebody has it worse. I can't complain about anything.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that you had that. I mean, in a scientific term, you would call it metacognition, right? The ability to think about your thinking and the ability to just create space between your thoughts. That's something that you know usually requires a deep amount of work and a deep understanding of what you're actually doing in the first place, right? So it's great that you had that gift and you were able to use it so long. You've obviously doubled down and used it now. And I know that you use that a lot in your day-to-day life. But before we get there, I do want to ask and circle back to the question on what led you to the military in the end. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. So what led me to military is number one, being that scared kid. I just had to give some backstory,
1: but being that scared kid, I was tired of being that. So I faced my fears and I was like, the only way to me face every fear, fear of heights, fear of just a lot going on and stress and anxiety. I was like, I have to face it. So I have to join. So that was a big factor. So just to be blunt, I was like, I can either continue being a little bitch or I can go into the military and like toughen my mind. So then I got into the military and I knew that would be a shift. So... At basic training, the drill sergeants would be in my face, and I almost busted out laughing because in my head I was like, "I dealt with this 300 nights a year. This is nothing." My German mother, mm-hmm. five foot five, would take all of you out, and my <laughs> father. So like, it was a psych- psychology game, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a walk in the park for me." So the pressure when drill sergeants are screaming and there's a lot of pressure going on. You're at the shooting range. I was really calm in those moments, and then I realized it clicked. And I said, wow, I thank my parents because they prepared me to be calm under pressure because I was under pressure literally almost every day of the life till I was 17 and moved out. But that constant pressure helped me in the military. So number one, it was to get over my fears. So jumping out of helicopters, planes, et cetera, to face the heights, um, obstacle courses and all that. And then from there, being able to lead others better. So definitely the combination of those facing fears and just becoming better. So
0: you feel empowered. Yeah, it's fascinating and it's a big step to take. But like you said, if there's any place to face your fears head on, that's one of those places as well. And obviously transitioning to the, what you do today, it's trying to get people to master their minds and their bodies, right? And the big thing that I find in the work that I do is a lot of people might have the body on lock, but they don't have the mind on lock. or they might have the mind on lock, but they don't quite have the body or the other things that they're missing out on their life. So how do we combine the two together and how do you create someone in a position where they can really, really focus on both their mind and body and get those to the place that they want it to be?
1: That's a great question. So the first thing I like to do with people is, I pinpoint before we change their routine or schedule, we pinpoint what are some things that they can eliminate. And it could be something as simple as what they drink, what they eat, what they do when they open up social media, when their alarm goes off in the morning, do they hit snooze five times? Or do they wake up and just lay there for 30 minutes and scroll and have no control of what they're gonna see? They might see a sad cat video or a sad dog video and it like plant that negative seed in their head. So uh-huh. all these are just basic examples, but it's very common with people. So I ask them, we write some things out. What could they eliminate? get rid of or simply replace with something better that will help them get more progress and more results and most people once they push pride and ego out of the way yeah they can be transparent with themselves and say you know what i need to do less of this less of that stop being around this toxic family member whatever it is that they have to do and then slowly they start doing that before we're like hey we're going to change your schedule hey get rid of this in your fridge hey let's change your whole thing let's just go cold turkey we're not going to eat this like That extreme route doesn't work for most people, so step one I always like to do is eliminate some things, and then it gives them a lot of clarity, and then slowly we make those minor changes. So I always focus on the long-term results and making it a lifestyle, rather than the 30-day challenge, 60 days to abs, 90 day whatever. It's just never been my thing. Teach their own on marketing and all that, but I just never was drawn to it. I wanted to give people the tools and the knowledge so they never need me again. So they know themselves, their body and their mind, and they can harness it long-term to never feel like they're going backwards. But definitely starting with what they can eliminate, and then from there, reminding them that they have to earn the happiness and confidence. And it only happens when we push ourselves to do the thing that we don't want to do. And it sounds very straightforward, but a lot of what's on social media and online now, it's very extreme. This guy says only eat liver. This guy says go vegan. This guy says vegetables are bad. This guy says this. This lady says no, all those guys are wrong. And people are overwhelmed. Information overload. So I just break it down simple. I'm like, wake up at the same time seven days a week. Do this. Control that. What are you looking at when you open your phone? How many people do you say yes to in a week? And then you're annoyed that you say yes to everybody. Like all these basic things that just stack up, that seem small, but they feel overwhelmed. Because they have no control over those things, whether it's people or situations. So we get rid of those things first, and then we work on their daily routine. So it's all up to them and like their schedule. But once they can harness that, they can feel like they at least have control of their morning. And then they're more proactive about the day and calmer.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. So And do you place a big priority on people getting their morning routine in place? And what does an optimal morning routine look like for you, look like for the clients that you work with? Yeah, for sure. So I definitely focus on
1: them having two things that they do in the morning. Mm -hmm. The reason I say two, one for the mind, one for the body. So if they walk their dog, that's great. If they want to run, great. If they want to go to the gym, awesome. I'm using my towel because I went to the gym this morning. It takes me a while to stop sweating. But in regards (laughs) to that is the morning routine, one for the body, one for the mind. So they can be calmer and proactive because the opposite happens and we've all been there we hit snooze we lay there we're late we're stressing anxiety's high we're dehydrated we have the coffee it makes us more dehydrated our heart goes faster emails come in text and we're just like oh my god it's not even 8 a.m like can everybody hold on mm-hmm. and it's always our own fault because we didn't prepare in the morning so i use these common examples and i just challenge them to just wake up earlier i never push what time somebody should wake up but i just say if you can have one hour to yourself in the morning And I do understand some people have kids and have other things going on, but if they can make non-negotiable time in the morning that just helps their mind or body, they'll feel way more in control of the day. Things are still gonna happen, life happens, but they'll make way better decisions. It's amazing. So after a workout, they can meditate, visualize, pray. They feel way more open. Rather than attempting those things when 10 minutes before they were overthinking, doing all that, it's hard to get out of that space unless they've moved the body first. So I definitely recommend those two, just choosing whatever two things resonate with them and going from there. Because what happens with a lot of people is they do too much in the morning and it's an endorphin hit. I wrote Mm in my journal, I wrote a gratitude list. I did this, I did that. I had these 18 supplements on my counter and I was like, oh, I did this. I watched five motivational YouTube videos. I went on Instagram, I did that. Then they start their day and they're like, boom. They're not productive the rest of the day. But in their head, they just did all these endorphin hits to feel good But it didn't really help them with their day or like progress in their month so we just do two things body and mind and then go about the day and just make faster decisions so that way we're not overthinking so just being quicker with it and give people that power back because i truly believe that everybody already has that power within them we just have to get rid of the clouded thoughts the bs the stress the traumas and all that reminding ourselves hey the power the knowledge all this is already within me i just have to peel back the layers of the mess or the limiting beliefs people put on me, once I can push that out of the way they can breathe some and then they can focus on their goals.
0: Yeah, it makes a huge difference, just giving that people that clarity, that time to themselves. And also, again, just one or two things that they do. And I find that it's funny when you present this idea to someone for the first time, usually the route is like, yeah, let me throw as much as I can into the morning. And then, like you said, they have this list of 10 things to do and it gets to like 12 midday and they're like, I haven't even done any work today. And then they're even more overwhelmed because they thought their morning routine was going to help them, but they've ended up taking six hours to end up doing it. So it's interesting that you mentioned, like, just focus on those two things and, choose the ones that work best for you and just give back that time to yourself in the morning and essentially be more prepared for the remainder of the day. So I like that a lot. And what does the routine of morning routine specifically of Derek Johnson look like? So I wake up at four, I've been doing it since like middle school.
1: The reason why I just love a mental challenge, but nowadays it's just normal. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's mainly because of the calmness in the morning. I go to my kitchen, drink water, my dog's eating breakfast. And while I'm drinking water, I'll literally close my eyes and just feel it going all the way to my belly button. (laughs) because I wake up super dehydrated. So like I literally just use all my senses the first 10 minutes. I'm drinking the cold water. I'm thinking about my body. I can sense my heartbeat. I feel my wrist. I hear my dog's bowl moving, and I just try to be as present as I can. And then from there, I just think like, okay, today is Tuesday. What is on the agenda? I want to be intentional and do this, this, and this. Okay, perfect. Then we go for a quick walk, and then I'll run to the gym, hit the weights, come home, maybe I'll make a smoothie and then I just get on my calls and then I start working. But from there, I'm like calm the rest of the day. And so my clients and friends, they sent it, they're like, dude, you're always so chill. And it's because I had me time in the morning mm-hmm. because days that I don't do that, we're human. We feel the stress, annoyance, anxiety. We're like, oh my God, everybody needs me right now. Like these texts, if I get one more damn email, but that usually only happens when we didn't have a morning routine. So those would be the things. I drink spring water in the morning. I'm a big component of spring water, more natural. And then from there, working out, walking my dog. And then if I still have about 20 or 30 minutes before my first call or meeting, I'll sit down, meditate, visualize, or pray. Combination of those. I don't do each one every day, but whatever naturally I'm just told to do, I go from there. So I've always truly believed that if we start to just listen to our conscience more, which some would call... God's voice speaking to you. Some would say the universe, some would say ancestors, whatever somebody believes in. I believe that when we have a calmer mind and body, we're more open to those things. So when we do visualize, it's way more effective because we're not self-judging. We're not worried about what Bill is due tomorrow. We're not worried about anything. We're just present and we're visualizing our future self, what we're going to do today or praying, whatever it is, and it's way more effective doing it that way.
0: That's it, and it's not getting caught up in the day-to-day, but it's really focusing on the bigger picture side of things. And if you miss out on the meditation or prior or the visualization, do you catch up with that later in the day if you don't get to do it in the morning? Sometimes it happens during conversations with clients, and so
1: like it's not planned. So let's just say today is a busy day. It's Tuesday. I know two of my clients are crushing it with their career workouts and all that, so our conversations will be powerful. It's more so a recap, and then there's a couple other ones who are going through some real. Things One is going through a very dark and low time, but I know in that conversation, once we dive deeper and really peel back the layers, that's when I'm most present. And even if I haven't slept, even if I'm hungry, nothing matters in that time, and I'm in flow state. So when we're in flow state and present, I notice afterwards I'm calmer, where I'm like, dang, an hour ago I was starving, dehydrated, or annoyed. I was like, I don't want to get on this call. And what I tell myself is people depend on me. Whether that's in the morning, whether that's before a call, but I challenge people to tell themselves it more. People depend on me, whether it's customers, clients, friends, family, the little kid down the street that always sees you running. Like somebody looks up to you or needs you, Mm
0: -hmm. but if
1: you can think of other people, you can harness your own energy and show up better where it's selfless. Because most people, they just say, oh, I'm going to reschedule. I'm going to hit snooze. Uh, I'm going to make them an excuse. I got a flat tire because they don't feel like it. And they're being selfish but in those moments when they can just say people depend on me they can get a rush and flip their perspective so they no longer like just live for themselves but i can definitely say that the feeling that i would get from prayer visualization or meditation happened in some of the conversations where it's not planned my intent is not to oh i want to feel calm after this it's more so they need me and i need to give them the tools and have a real conversation and sometimes some people just need an active listener like sometimes i'll have an agenda and a focus and objective that I want to do for the call or conversation but I can tell their body language and I'm like he just needs a release and I literally just listen for 30 minutes and by the end they're like thanks man and they're like so what's on the agenda I'm like hey you're calm honestly we don't need to put anything more in here right now like let's let's talk next week or tomorrow but I'm happy you got that off your chest let's crush the rest of the day and then like they appreciate it because as coaches leaders or whatever somebody does if you can sense the body language of your people, whoever it is that you're working with, or even family, sometimes we just have to listen. And so like a thing like my girlfriend, and I do sometimes we'll be like, we could sense something's wrong. We say, Hey, do you want to talk about it? Or do you want solutions? Hmm. Do you want to talk about it? Or do you want solutions? And we got to be blunt. So if somebody just wants solutions, we're like, all right, let's do this, this, and this. But if we just want to talk about it, then one of us listens, and the other one just shuts up. (laughs) And we're just like, they need a vent. Because yeah. if we're both in a different setting, it's not going to work. And the same thing with clients. But yeah, I definitely get that feeling, a flow state, just being able to serve others and just seeing that calmness in them.
0: Yeah, I can agree more. And that is a game changer when it comes to relationships as well. That do you want a solution or do you just want someone to listen to you, right? It's a big, big thing. I think, especially with men specifically, it's always going to fix some problem-solve mode. So it's always like, okay, let me see how I can fix it. Exactly. It's like every single nail needs the exact same hammer, but sometimes you just need to realize like, it's not even your nail to go and hammer, right? And I think quite often, if you're able to take that step back and then even read the situation in the moment as well, I think that's one level. One layer is like asking the question and the next layer is like, okay, what do I feel like in this moment? And if you're able to do that and kind of able to communicate with both your clients and your partner on that level it's game-changing it really is so i love that you brought that up as well and a big thing that you speak about i saw on your instagram post and it was a really interesting one is people wasting their weekends and you spoke about waking up at the same day same seven times a week and when people think of morning routine they only kind of apply it to their monday to friday or even monday to thursday in fact so talk to us about your concept on people wasting their weekends and how people could get more out of them i would challenge people to change the way that they look at time.
1: So I'm not going on a rabbit hole to say time doesn't exist and all that, but (laughs) parallel universes, I know some people that are going to rant with that. But all I'm saying is that life is short and we all know it is. Somebody in our family, in our circle, in our neighborhood passed away recently. Everybody knows somebody or somebody that's connected to someone. So I bring that up because we have to remind ourselves that life is short, not to be scared or paranoid, but to attack life with more effort and Just having the weekend to escape or chill, I flip the script and say, have we earned chill time? Have we earned this date night? Have we earned this thing? Because then when we go to our favorite restaurant or watch our movie or relax on the couch, our perspective of doing that thing is of excitement because we're like, wow, we earned it. Like We haven't watched a movie in weeks or whatever it is, opposed to, "Ah, it's been a long week. I need to go to the restaurant to get the edge off. Let me get three margaritas or whatever it is. Like teach their own, but a lot of the times when people do things on the weekends, it's to get the edge off or I need to release or I need a nap and all those things are, they can do whatever, but have they actually earned it or are they just trying to escape? Some people will sleep it off to escape. Some people have other vices, but with the weekend is if they still wake up at the same time, it doesn't mean they have to hustle 24 seven. It's just, they realize that they have a longer day, number one, because mm-hmm. they're up earlier, but also number two, they can sit with their thoughts and I feel like the biggest issue in society now is people are never present with their own thoughts. And that's why they have so many vices. A thought starts to come. They're like, oh, got a scroll. A thought starts to come. Oh, let me text my buddy. Oh, let me look at some memes. It's like, just sit in the moment. If you got to cry, cry for five minutes. If you need to yell and grab the steering wheel in your car and just go, like, just do that. <laughs> if you need to go for a walk, awesome. If you need to take your shirt off and just, like, dump into a pool or walk, In the sand like whatever you got to do to just be calmer and release and then just be present with your thoughts so with the weekends waking up earlier having some them time and it doesn't have to be a workout just whatever they need to do around the house so by the time that it's time for family time or whatever they do on a saturday or sunday they feel productive they're like wow i did all these tasks this morning my house is clean we did this and this i organized for the week and they feel empowered and then when they go to that family event or function they're way more present because they're not like, oh, my God, I got to get home in two hours because I'm going to be tired. I got to prepare for the week. Anxiety comes up. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow's Monday. But they're changing the whole script because we've all been programmed to think that way. Oh, it's Friday. Let's celebrate. Oh, it's Saturday. Oh, today's Sunday. Oh, shit. Tomorrow's Monday. And it's like this vicious loop cycle of a rat race. But if we change a perspective, we're like, you know what? I don't do anything productive on the weekend. That's why we feel like we're not going anywhere. So let's just Be productive seven days a week. And again, it doesn't mean hustle 12 to 15 hours a day. It's just what are the two or three main things that we need to get done that makes us feel like we're making progress? Hey, let's color organize the closet. That's my thing. I'm half German, (laughs) so I'm half OCD. I'm like, I got to organize this stuff. (laughs) I got to clean this stuff. It helps my mind. Other things for somebody else could be maybe they've had a pile of clothes in their bedroom that they just walk by and that anxiety is in their head. And they're like, man, this pile of clothes or that stack of dishes and they're like, oh, I'm going to do it tomorrow. So whatever makes them feel better mentally. So waking up, doing those things first. And then when they, ch- if they want to chill the rest of the day, they earned it. And they're like, wow, normally I push this off till 6 PM. And then I don't want to do it. And then I say, I'm going to do it Monday and Monday comes around. They walk in their kitchen. They're like, Oh my God, I can't even find my favorite cup. Cause all this crab is in the way. So just preparing everything to be structured for you. What's going to make you feel empowered? And it sounds so simple, but it all goes back to the smallest things. Like if we, walk by that clo- if we walk by that pile of clothes, if we walk by that dust on the floor, if the cup holder in our car has been sticky for two weeks, it's like when are we actually going to do this thing? Because those things are in our mind. Because I just tell people straight up, I'm like, if you can't keep your kitchen clean or your car clean, then how are you going to be successful? We would do that in the Army. We would walk the parking lot, and we would look in people's windows of their car and, like, judge them based off it. No, <laughs> thou should not judge, but hey, <laughs> you can find out a lot about how people carry their space. And then we would help them. We're like, hey, I sense you're very stressed. I looked in the parking lot, you drive that red car. Let's go, let's go do a deep cleaning. And they're like, What are you talking about? Let's let's just go do it. And afterwards, sometimes people literally just cry. They're like, I haven't cleaned my car in a year. Mm-hmm. Like I've had so much anxiety. Like this feels amazing when I get in here. It's clean. It smells good. And like it's crazy how powerful that is. So getting rid of that clutter
0: and the weekends, people can easily do that. For sure. And I think that people don't recognize how much time they spend in their car and how much space and you know mental space that takes when, you, like you said, you've got that thing in the back of your mind is on that endless list of all these things that you have to do. And it's just that one simple thing that changes the energy and it kind of changes the vibration of how you're feeling. So I like that one a lot. And that probably works really, really well for maybe 85% of people. But then there's probably like these 10 to 15% of high performers who probably put a lot of pressure on themselves to keep things at the highest level. Is there a trap of potentially putting yourself into a position where you never take any time to rest? You're always trying to be productive. You can't kind of sit down and just chill and listen to yourself because you always feel like there's something that you can be doing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So for me, what really helps is weekend getaways. So key example, this weekend, my girlfriend and I, we got an Airbnb at the beach and it's for three nights. And mentally, we're going to be calmer. We're still going to be working. Nothing changes with our workflow, but it gives us a rush. So whether that's a weekend getaway uh, road trip, whether that's traveling somewhere, or whether it's going to a brand new restaurant that's on a rooftop, like just doing something that's different, that gives people a rush, that for some people, for high performers, that's almost the equivalent of the other person taking a three-hour nap on a Sunday where they feel Mm -hmm. recharged or refreshed. That CEO, he just needed to tap out and see something new. Like He's looking out at the water and just, and just having a conversation with people. And then after that, he's like, wow, I needed this little getaway. It could be one to three hours or two days, whatever it is. But that, I've noticed, helps a lot with high performers. They just need to like get away for a bit. It looks like you and I both work at home. So just changing up the environment. What I do sometimes, I will work at a hotel lobby or find like a banquet room. Mm-hmm. And I change up my environment. And I get so much done so much faster. And I just laugh. And I'm like, wow. This would have taken me four hours if I was at home. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I keep walking to the kitchen or playing with my dog. And then I just break up the pattern. And then when I come back home, I'm hyper focused again. So being hyper aware of ourselves, and it takes the man and the woman to push pride and ego aside and say, you know what? So here's an example. If somebody's in sales and they're at their desk, so here I'm at my standing desk. If this individual has not closed a sale in 10 sales calls, if they change your environment and do the next sales call in a meeting room, a WeWork place, hotel, like wherever, guarantee you they'll probably close it. They'll feel a rush. And if they come back, they show up with new energy because mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we always have to change our workspace. But if we continuously been losing in the same environment, just change it up for a bit, come back, you feel refreshed and go from there. So I've definitely noticed that with high performers. They just need to get away for a moment if it's a day, if it's two days, if it's three hours, whatever it is, and then that is the equivalent of that mental refresh and really helps them with that. So if they don't have time to actually like chill, that can really help them because that dinner could turn into an opportunity or they could have just been like, this is the first day in five days that I didn't say a word verbally. And they just sat and looked at the water at a
0: restaurant and they're just like, We talk all day. We're just going to look at the water. So that helps (laughs) some people. Do you have any recommendation on frequency when it comes to that? I'm sure it depends on the individual. But generally speaking, there's some rough guidelines on don't let it get this long or maybe don't take it too frequently as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that there's a perfect. I know
1: everyone's situation is different. I would challenge somebody to more so learn themselves. What is your threshold? So like the attention threshold, an example could be some people, they need to do the Pomodoro technique, the 80-20 rule, or 80 minutes of focus, 20 minute break, whatever they need to do. So work for an hour, 10 minute break. Work for another hour, 10 minute break. That works for some people. For me, that gets me off. I like to just go four or five hours straight, Mm -hmm. everything's productive, and that works. For other people, they tap out after 30 minutes. But if somebody can figure out what their threshold is, it doesn't mean they won't become successful, but that person that knows their threshold, they can take that break when needed, but actually take it only when they need it. Because sometimes when we do the productive deep work, like let's just say somebody's writing some copywriting and it's been amazing and then they're tired and they're getting annoyed, I believe in energy. And if somebody's typing this post really annoyed on LinkedIn, they're gonna be like, people will feel it. And yeah. if they write that same post when they're feeling enlightened and after a workout, they're gonna be like, boom, post. And people are like, man, I needed that. And the flip side, sometimes it gets no reaction. So it could be luck, it could be energy, But yeah, if somebody figures out their threshold of when they need that getaway, I think that is a game changer. But again, they have to earn that thing and actually be honest because most people are like, oh, I hit my threshold, need another break. And they start to milk it. And they're like, well, I heard this podcast. He told me to hit my threshold. But it's just in regards to productivity and being really self-aware. So like an example could be some people are readers. They could read two chapters straight and not have one interrupting thoughts. Other people, they can't even read one page without their thought going to something. They're like, what did I read? Mm -hmm. And they keep having to reread it. So their attention span is way different, but one can improve it. And the other can say, hey, you know what? I'm good at this. That's my threshold with that. What is my threshold with other things? And once they're very hyper aware, that person has more control of their situation. And then they can say, you know what? Once a month, we're going to do a three-day getaway. Every three months, we're going to fly to another country. Once a year, we're going to do this and then they can plan it out because they know themselves and they can catch their own patterns rather than like being burnt out for a year straight and never actually tapping out. They'll notice their numbers if they're in sales, they'll like drop and go up and down like a roller coaster. There's no consistency. And if they really look at it, they're like, my energy was off for two months straight. No wonder we didn't close anybody. Mm -hmm. But if they would have
0: just had a getaway
1: for 24 hours, they could have reset. So finding your threshold.
0: Yeah, I like that. And also be radically honest about with yourself about where that threshold actually is, right? Because I think, again, you can fall right. into both sides of the trap in the sense of never taking that time off and thinking you're continuing to be productive, but realistically you need way, way more time off to actually come back and be even more effective. Maybe you're being productive, but you're probably not being super effective. And then the other side of it is just taking too many breaks and actually not getting anything done. So I think, like you said, finding where your threshold is, being radically honest with yourself can only lead to success from that perspective as well. So we've done the morning routines. We've done the work on our mind, our body. We are digging into ourselves. We're setting our boundaries. We're putting all these thresholds in place. So next step is not going back to that previous version of yourself. And I know you've spoken about that before as well. It's like, you've done too much work, you've done too much healing, you've gone through too much to let anyone grab you and pull you back to that old version of yourself. What did you mean when you said that? And how can we prevent ourselves from going back to that comfort zone? That's a great question. I would ask ourselves, what is our default
1: setting? As in, what is the mode and the mental state that I'm in most of the time, like 90% of the day? Like you wake up, what is your natural setting? Not Mm -hmm. once we had a monster or two cups of coffee in the perfect environment, but what is our normal setting? Some people are very optimistic. Some people are very negative. Some people are very lazy. But if they can be honest and say, what is my default setting right now? They can say, okay, what do I need to do to slowly improve and elevate that? So the term high performers is popular now, but if you look at an athlete that's a high performer or even a musician, they travel hundreds of days a year to play games, do tours, concerts, and all that. Uh When I see these individuals, I get inspired, and I look at them like, it's crazy what is possible for the human body and the mind by just having that consistency of a routine. So I look at it and say, what can we do to raise our natural threshold of our default setting? As in, how can we operate higher at a certain level? And once we do raise it higher, it becomes the new norm where we actually use less energy. So like when my friends or clients see my routine, they're like, dude, how do you go all day? And I'm like, I'm just calm most of the day. I had my morning, the rest of the day is easy and I'll just go from there. And then they're like, man, that makes sense. And when they slowly start to control their routine and all that, they use less energy because then it's normal. And then their mind opens, they're like, wow, now I can do this thing at work, now I can do this because their mind opens once they hit that new threshold of that default setting. So I would challenge people to see what they can work on to raise that, To have a high performance default setting we're just every day they operate higher we all know someone that does so much and we're just like how does he or she do all this but they're always in a good mood they're like are they like half human like what is going on the only difference is they have an amazing routine they've been doing it for so long it's like clockwork and they really don't stress much but the other person they can't even open their fridge and choose what they want because they overthink and they stall or they're at a restaurant they get pressure and they're like "Uh, let me get this like All day long, they feel this pressure if they can make faster decisions and just prime their day to then naturally raise their threshold of their default setting. So breaking that down, what can I do to raise this? And what can I do then once it is normal to continuously slowly elevating that thing?
0: Yeah, so essentially raising your threshold so that it becomes such your norm that realistically there is no going back. It's super hard to break now because if you are so ingrained with that routine and the way of living that you wouldn't even go back is that what you're saying exactly 100
1: and some people that would say hey that sounds great i don't think everyone's like that i counter react and say hey i understand that but have you ever had three jobs in college you didn't sleep you party you did all this and you barely slept but you got everything done and they're like <laughs> yeah And then I'm like, well, technically you have proof that you can do a lot, still be happy, still get everything done, be productive, still keep your scholarship, whatever situation they had. It's like, you've done it before. Age doesn't matter. Age is just a mentality. So we use that and say, there's proof that you've done it, whether it was an athlete, whether it was an athlete that had two jobs, whether it was in school, two jobs and a kid. And it's like, yo, you guys are rock stars at what you do. You just have to remind yourself. You've handled a lot of stuff. So if you can just raise that threshold where it's the new norm, that is there because that happens a lot with young parents, with people that have a lot of clients, people that work in a restaurant, they're used to pressure, military, sports, and all that. All of these are examples. But if somebody zooms out and say, you know what? I used to operate at a really high level. And I guarantee you, most people can pinpoint one moment in their life they operated high, but they just didn't think about it. They're like, wow, I was so productive. I was in the best shape of my life. I was happy. I was doing this. I was traveling. I was traveling. And then if they look at themselves now, they're like the smallest thing pisses me off or stresses me out or it's just like Mm -hmm. your setting is down
0: here, but it used to be high. Let's get back to that. So how do we go back to that without trying to be that past version of ourselves? Because I feel like so many times a lot of people will be like, I just need to go back to that. I need to go back to doing the things that made me that way. But realistically, maybe they have kids now, maybe their job is completely different and they've just lived different experiences in their life, right? Like sometimes that happiness and joy can be taken out of you from certain situations that you've gone through or you've been had a tough few years or whatever that might be. So I'm really curious to get an understanding of how we can tap into that without kind of being tempted to go back to our previous setting. Of ourselves?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I would challenge people to ask themselves wholeheartedly, full transparency to themselves Do I let myself down and do I keep the promises that I make? Mm. And they can write down how many days this month did I work out? How many days did I hit snooze? How many days did I do this? How many days did I say I'm going to do it next Monday? So if they see the historical data and the proof where they're like, I just talk and I don't take action, that is why I feel this way. And we're not making them up. We're not trying to make them feel bad. It's more so we're looking at the facts. So if they continuously slide stuff under the rug and push it off, that is why they're there. But what most people do, they blame the family trauma. They blame this, this, and this, where it's just like, I understand we all have that. We're not saying that did not happen. But the last 30 days, you've literally been eating garbage, smoking, doing et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do you expect to feel this high level person? if you don't even keep the word that you say to yourself. So I always keep everything simple, but also challenging people to stop letting themselves down. Like literally just drawing a line in the sand and say, I'm gonna become the baddest mother at what he does. And I'm not gonna let myself down while everybody else talks. Like we're not gonna go backwards. If I don't wanna to go to the gym, I'm gonna to go to the gym. If I don't wanna walk my dog, I'm gonna walk my dog. It sounds so simple, but most people, they only do that for two weeks. But if they do that more frequently, their energy, their confidence, their pride, their self-trust, all those positive attributes go up and they literally start feeling like a badass. And they're like, damn, I've been consistent for two weeks. It's been two months. And like just naturally it goes up, just my belief. I think that's the only way to get there because people make everything so difficult. But if we break it down and say, did you let yourself down in the past two weeks or 30 days? And they have to say yes or no. If they say yes, they have to pinpoint what it was and literally just do the opposite of that thing and just say out loud what I mentioned earlier, people depend on me. Because the reason that they're not where they wanna be is usually they're just selfish and they don't feel like it. So then they make a cop-out line, but they've done it so much that that's literally their new default setting. Whatever they say, their subconscious is like, we don't believe you, you have no proof. Mm -hmm. So whatever you say here is not real because our existence has been the same for two years. So what is different? We need proof. But if they start showing up for themselves, they get a rush, they get chills and they're like, wow, I feel like I'm a different person. So having that and no longer letting themselves down, like literally just drawing the line. And I truly believe that if people don't do that, they're gonna keep going in a cycle and they'll keep saying, well, it's cause mommy did this and daddy wasn't in my life. Instead of just being like, I keep letting myself down. I said I was gonna go to the gym and I haven't. I said I was gonna stop smoking. I said I was gonna stop yelling at her or him, like actually being transparent with ourselves. But again, everything just ties back to pride and ego. The most successful people, they can push those aside and say, I need help, or I need to work on this, or I'm sorry, I was an Mm -hmm. asshole, how can I work on this? Like, just being blunt. Most people, they just, like, put on a facade, but I think the best people, they're just transparent. They're like, I don't know what to do, could you help me? Because they're
0: open to it. Yeah, that's powerful. And I love that stacking evidence pieces. as well. it's what I say to my clients all the time when they come to me and they might have not been a healthy version of themselves for their entire life. So they realistically have no yeah. grounds to stand on in the sense of saying, okay, I'm going to be this healthy version of myself, especially if they want to transform it into a lifestyle. But if they have that one day where they start to eat healthy, like that's the first piece of evidence, all right? Now we stack on top of it. We stack on top of it. And then eventually you have to look at a point where you're like, well, okay, the last 20 years of your life, okay, fair enough. You weren't a healthy version. But If we look at the last month, Like that's a more accurate version of reality than two years before that, like you're one month when we're in the present, like that is where you are right now. So if we look at the stack of evidence for the last month, then you're 30 days to zero, right? In the sense of you being in a place where your health and fitness, where you're actually giving it the care and attention it needs. So then it's just a case of trying to remember the past, but also not saying that version of me doesn't exist anymore. It's just stacking that new evidence and that new evidence until it gets high enough. And then, like you said, you have no doubts after that because you know exactly who you are and it's all about those moments where you genuinely reflect where you sit with yourself and you think okay well who am i did i keep this promise to myself and you'll always know right you can never kind of bs yourself so much that you can't get out of it like you'll know even if it doesn't impact you in that moment deep down there'll be that little voice or something that happens and you're just like okay i didn't keep this promise to myself right yeah and that right there which you said is usually the thing that others can sense so like if there's a date night
1: or a family mm-hmm. dinner the person that let themselves down five days in a row, they don't want to be at that dinner. They're so in their head and everybody's like, man, your energy's off. No, like they might snap. They might be sad. <laughs> Family or friends didn't do anything. They're just like projecting. But it's so common to see that you can see people's body language and you're like, oh, man, he's annoyed with himself. This is going to be an interesting moment. Uh, this is going to be an interesting birthday dinner. But in that regard, <laughs> it's just not being that individual. We've all been him or her to an extent. Yeah. So no longer going back and making your younger version proud. Like what does version 10.0 of you look like how do they live how's their relationship do they have kids are they not every single attribute of version 10.0 and just make a decision i'm gonna become that person or even better and just go in and then remind yourself like life is short am i gonna use this time or am i gonna be in the same spot in a decade and then just blame my parents or my past by it or am i just gonna push pride and ego aside and see that god has me here for a reason you here for a reason And when we can use our experiences and pain as our fuel, people can sense that. And then they're like, wow, I didn't know Elia went through that. Derek went through that. Oh, I just thought he was military and he was just like lucky. And once they learn what we went through, they're like, oh, wow, they're just like us. Cool. And we're like, hey, let's join join the team. Let's go up together. So it's an amazing feeling.
0: Yeah, it's powerful. And I'm curious with what you just said there in terms of using that dark energy to your advantage as well. I've always thought that there's both energies that you can use. You can use the dark energy. You can use basically the push towards where you don't want to be and you can use the pull towards where you want to be. I find that both sides of the spectrum, if you use that negative energy too much, I find it to be super powerful, but sometimes it's maybe not super sustainable. And on the other side, I find it very powerful to pull you towards it, but also at the same time, sometimes it's not strong enough to get you out of a situation where you know, it's just not strong enough. Essentially, like we usually run away from what we run towards. And I find that countless times. So how do you find the balance between using the dark energy and let's call it the light energy for lack of a better term? I love that analogy because it's super effective. And I, I believe that athletes or
1: anybody that's competitive, they tap into that dark side or that dark alter ego a lot to push themselves. Mm. But I like to approach it in a different perspective. Is Looking at motivation in two ways. One, there's the push. I push myself out of bed this morning because I woke up a lot. I push myself to go do this thing. I push myself to go do that. She pushes herself to work to do all push, 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 push. push, And people feel burnt out. What they're missing is the second part of motivation, which is the pull. Mm -hmm. The pull would be a cause, a purpose, family legacy, children, like anything that's bigger than themselves, their country, their community whatever it gives them a rush, whatever that makes them emotional, if they can think of those things, they get pulled towards it rather than just having to push. So an example is I always go extreme, is some mornings I can say people depend on me and it doesn't work. Most mornings it does. People depend on me and I'm like, boom, I'm a machine, boom. And then sometimes I'm like, I literally slept X amount of hours this week. I'm like, I, th- I can't even think right now. And then i say, you know what? My Oma in Germany survived the Holocaust and was hiding in the attic. Am I really not gonna get my ass out of bed right now? And then I get out of bed. When I do that, like I'm always tearing up, not in a sad way, but it gives me a rush because I, I go extreme mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm here cause she survived that. Am I really gonna complain about slow Wi-Fi and being tired or dehydrated or whatever, or <sighs> saying mommy yelled at me or whatever. It's like, that's nothing. And then on the flip side, my father is from Mississippi. So African-American in the state of Mississippi, high level of racism in that state. So mm-hmm. my great grandpa dealt with a lot of stuff. So I think of that extreme thing and I'm like, all right, this side went through this Oma my went through that I'm here and I don't feel like doing something. That's a slap in the face to all of them. And then I go looking at it is, say, we have the push to push ourselves to our goal. We have the pull, which is a greater cause. And mm-hmm. then I also challenge people to learn their family tree, whether they like the family or not, doesn't matter. But the intent is, learn about what kind of hell and trauma that those family members went through, and then be humble and say, I'm here for a reason. Like they went through that, that's why I'm alive. Like they existed. Maybe you had a terrible relationship with them, doesn't matter, but if they didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. So it helps sometimes just to look at that bigger picture rather than just being in the moment and saying, oh, I have another meeting. Sometimes we got to tap out and say, I'm doing this meeting because there's a bigger cause for me to help X, Y, Z. And then they're like, okay. And then they go. So challenging that person to have a push, but also a pull. The pull is going to help you win long term. So you start like not even caring about how you
0: feel. You're like, I'm being pulled to greater things. So guide me wherever you want, God. I'm here. That's it. Because then you'll take the push you be like whatever the push is, you'll have enough energy and internal motivation that's not because I'm not good enough or I went through this when I was younger and I need to be this better version of myself is because like I said, that is super powerful and that will get you to that first step and it will probably take you a really, really long way. I always say that to a lot of people. Like I've never met a super successful person who doesn't have that kind of dark energy fueling them in the very beginning because of sometimes you just need that kind of inertia that push to get you going in the first place and if your circumstances sometimes aren't bad enough or they aren't in a position where you don't really feel like that sometimes you don't have enough for that potential energy to actually push you into the things that you need to do in the first place but after that you can't keep relying on that because that's when you end up seeing people like athletes for example as soon as their career finished, like you know they hit rock bottom for example oh, yeah. or any situation like that where you see someone just go down the route of drugs and alcohol and all these other types of things because they don't have that bigger purpose they're always linked to okay i need to be better than this worthless version of myself that I was when I was 10 years old or 13 years old or whatever that might be. So I love the power of the push and pull. And Derek, this has been an awesome conversation and I've got a couple of final questions for you. And that's been amazing. So with the work that you do, what impact do you want to have on the world? I just want to
1: create a positive ripple effect. I know what it feels like to not have people really there for you that are listening, but helping people see a better version of themselves to impact the people around them, because they just vibrate at a higher energy. So if it's a parent, their kids will feel it. Kids do as they see, not what they're told. So if they see dad and mom eating better, working out, doing whatever, the kids are like, oh, they try to do a shoulder press, they start jogging and like (laughs) that positive ripple effect, which is what it's all about. Because society right now is weak, so if we can become stronger and better and become better leaders, people will see that and everybody loves a comeback story. The only reason we watch movies It's because of the comeback story like we relate protagonist antagonist oh my god they made it awesome we get a rush cool that is your life (laughs) your comeback story is happening right now what are you going to do to make your people proud and just look back at life and say damn i did it that's definitely what i'll leave people with create your own comeback
0: story i love that i love that a lot and just one quick question off the back of that you say society is weak right now if everyone follows this path of the best version of themselves and tapping into this how long do you think it will take before we can turn around and say society is strong right now i think by people coming together and having real conversations if they turn off the media
1: i haven't watched the news in years but if they turn it off for 30 days and just not even care obviously every country is different but If they don't let these negative things that they have zero control of affect them and just go in public, talk to somebody that looks different, like whatever, give somebody a compliment, ask them a question. If you're in the grocery store, hey, why'd you choose that pasta? They start telling you a story about their grandma and like real human interaction. And then being like, wow, I haven't had this kind of conversation in forever. Usually I don't speak to those people or I don't wanna talk or I have social anxiety. Getting out of our shell helps so much. It happens here sometimes when I'm like walking. We live in Panama and speak like 20% Spanish, but sometimes I'll force myself to speak Spanish to people and then I learn and then I'm like, cool, I actually got better. That was awesome. Even though I didn't feel like it, but mm-hmm. I just try to practice. But if people have more human interactions of conversations that matter, that they're that are meaningful and being present with that individual, it helps a lot because I feel like that's what society is missing outside of the self-work and hard work and discipline is coming together and realizing that we're not that different than each other. The media, All this stuff is making us seem like we have to be in all these cliques and be separated and all the world sucks and all this. We have to see the world in a different view. There's so many awesome people with amazing stories that we can get connected with and we can learn from. So if we see it like that, it sounds much better than what the media is showing us. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more of that. And where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing Derek? So they can find me on social media at fitwithderek 2 the number two. Or Derek Johnson, same picture on every platform. But yeah, my whole intent is just to show people, real people, real results. There's a lot of Photoshop online. That's why I show pictures and videos. So hey, I'm not for everyone. You're not for everyone. If people like the F-bomb, I might be for them. If they don't like that aggressiveness,
0: then I'm not for them. So (laughs) I'm just transparent. (laughs) Appreciate your time today, man. It's been an awesome conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being.